Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Today our guest is Adam Dore, the Director of Research at the Rethink X Think Tank. He'll give a talk on Tuesday at Utah Tech University as a part of the Human Tech Speaker Series. That talk is titled Rethinking Humanity, Reasons for Optimism Amidst the Disruptions. That'll take place at 4 p.m. in the Zion Room in the Holland Centennial Commons on the Utah Tech campus in St. George. The talk is free and open to the public. Adam Dore is an environmental social scientist and technology theorist whose recent Rethink X publications have focused on the disruption of the global energy sector by new energy generation and storage technologies, as well as the implications of energy transportation and food disruptions for climate change. And Adam Dore completed his MS at the University of Michigan School for Environmental Environment and Sustainability, his PhD at UCLA's Luskin School of Public Affairs, and he uh, joins us for the program today. Adam Dore, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate you uh, taking the time. Um, so I'm uh, curious, what uh, what is Rethink X? What do you do there? Well, Rethink X is an independent think tank, and our mission is to catalyze a future in which prosperity is widespread and abundance rather than scarcity characterizes the human experience. And what that means in practice is that we look through the lens of technology disruption to understand what parts of our global economy and society are going to change in the near future, over the next 10 to 15 years, as a result of new technologies that will disrupt their sectors of the economy or individual industries or even individual markets and certain kinds of products. So this is a fascinating line of inquiry. And as a scientist, it's, I'm excited every day to be able to do the work that I do. Uh, can you give us an example of a technology disruption? Uh, uh, and its impact on society. Maybe focus in on one. Well, well, sure. Let me give one that's very familiar and that many of us have lived through recently. It's a textbook case, and that is the disruption of film photography by digital cameras. So many of us will remember the days, and they weren't that long ago, when you only had maybe 36 uh frames of film in your camera that you could use. So taking a picture was a precious and um, a limited option for you if you had a camera. The results weren't instant. You had to go and have that film developed. And uh, it, it, yes, you could get it done in as soon as an hour, but it, it, the results were not instantaneous. You didn't know what you were going to get. You weren't sure if that picture was going to be great, if it was going to turn out well or not, if it was going to be in focus or blurry until quite a while afterwards. And so photography remained out of reach for many people. Uh, and that technology, film cameras, were the predominant mode of taking photographs for a century. And then, in the mid-1990s, when the first consumer digital cameras became available, that changed. And what's remarkable about that disruption is that the new technology outcompeted and outperformed the old one and in doing so, it replaced the old technology. Digital cameras disrupted film cameras in just a decade. It didn't take an entire generation or 50 years or 100 years for the change to happen. 
cameras became available to consumers in 1995 or so is when the first decent consumer digital cameras started to appear on the market. And 10 years later, most of us couldn't even remember the last time we bought a roll of film. That's an example of a technology disruption. Hmm. So how's being aware of these uh, technology disruptions help us better plan? Uh, I guess awareness, that's what you're working on there at RethinkX, right? Um, uh, so it's good investments, but it, you know it's societal, but it's also individual. How, how can that uh, being aware help us? Well, huge changes are coming. And the question is, what can we do? So this is, this is something that we at RethinkX take on as a challenge to try to understand and then to try to equip others to understand and get ready for. So it's one of our chief guiding principles for what should we do in response to one or more technology disruptions that we can see coming on the horizon. And our number one guiding principle is be prepared. If we refuse to open our eyes and, and we get blindsided by these changes, they will feel like a disaster. If, you, if change that's abrupt rolls in on us, whether as individuals or an industry or an entire society, and we're not ready for it, and it catches us by surprise, that can feel like a disaster. But if we open our eyes and get ready for these disruptions in advance, we can turn them into opportunities, incredible opportunities instead. Now, the changes that we're talking about, the new technologies, and I'm happy to speak about those, those are coming. They are unstoppable. We can't uninvent new technologies. So it's, it's really not a matter of if these things will transform our lives. It's a matter of exactly when and where and how. And the temptation to resist change is strong, especially for incumbents who, who benefit from the status quo. We all know that. We all understand that, even if we know that the changes will be positive in the long run. So being prepared means getting ready to seize new opportunities and also being on guard against mm, the shenanigans of those who don't want things to change and our own perhaps personal resistance and, and hesitancy, uh, we can get ahead of the game rather than getting caught on our heels reacting. And that's a much better, much better position to be in. You're, you're pretty optimistic, I, you know, reading some of the reports here um, at Rethink X. Uh, a disruption, right? That'll be a very painful for, I guess, in some ways for all of us and especially for some of us. But you're very optimistic about the, the long term, if, if we make the right decisions, right? Well, absolutely. It's true. We face enormous challenges, right? I mean, and climate change, as you mentioned, is one of the big challenges that I've focused on in my work. But there are many others in the world today. And the pandemic that we've all just lived through brought a lot of our other social and economic and political challenges into view. And in the past, we have met our biggest challenges with innovation. Challenges aren't just problems. They really are also opportunities. Now, innovation can take many forms, but new technology is a critical one. And so that's what my team and I at RethinkX focus on. Now, if we think back, think back in time to our ancestors, their big challenges were things like how to grow enough food, how to make water safe to drink, how to stay cool in the summer or warm in the winter, or how to protect against illness and injury. Now, new technology wasn't the only factor involved in dealing with those, but it played a starring role in solving each of those major basic problems that humanity has faced. And it did so by laying a foundation that we, socially, 
could build real solutions on top of. And so the reason why I'm so optimistic today is that new technologies are once again laying a foundation, a new foundation for us to be able to solve the very biggest problems that we face. Now, ultimately, this is, it's all about prosperity. And if we think about what prosperity really is, it means having the resources, the tools, the know-how to get results, to get the results that we want. And this is just as true at the individual level in our own personal lives as it is at the larger level of our entire society. Without those things, without prosperity, we aren't able to achieve our goals. Well, new technology means better tools. That's why technological innovation has always opened the door to greater prosperity. Now, again, technology alone isn't the whole story. It doesn't guarantee prosperity, but it does expand what is possible. It broadens our horizons enormously. And so if we can make the right choices, and I believe we can and will, if we adopt the right technologies, if we use them wisely, we can have an incredibly bright future. So uh, I was reading a bit from uh, the, the book from Rethink X, uh, Rethinking Humanity, right? Which, by the way, you can go to the Rethink X uh, website, RethinkX.com, and get a free download of, of the book. Um, the authors there uh, talk about with, with uh, the, these big potential leaps forward, extreme disruptions, right? That the, the danger is the powers that be um, rely on what they've always relied on. In other words, the organizing systems, the, 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 you know, the current systems in place. With, with huge disruptions, new systems are needed, but there can be a temptation to double down on, on the system that's always uh, worked. Um, are you concerned about that? Well, it's always a concern. And this is part of the pattern of disruption that we see throughout history that the incumbent winners in the current status quo are incentivized very strongly to resist change because disruption is a threat to the status quo. And we know that, that by its nature, technology disruptions mean rapid change, and they mean significant, substantial change. So we, we would... There are instances where a new technology doesn't cause a disruption, where a new technology just makes a small shift in the market, the, a slightly better product or a slightly less expensive uh, service. These are not disruptions. They are incremental improvement. When we talk about disruptions, we're talking about big changes in a big hurry. And that is a threat to the incumbent industries. And it also is, uh, it is a challenge to the existing order, the existing way in which we are organized for production, how we produce and, and uh, distribute the things that we need to have the quality of life that we want. Now, knowing that those things are a consistent pattern that we see throughout history, we can be prepared this time. So one of the key insights and implications of the book that my colleagues Tony Seba and James Arbib wrote is that this time it's different. This time, we can see these disruptive changes coming in advance. We can get ready, and we can minimize the harms that they're going to cause in the short term. 
and maximize the benefits. In the distant past, this wasn't possible. We didn't understand these dynamics well enough to do that. And so in the past, well, really, frankly, societies got clobbered by new technologies. They didn't know how to react, and it did cast... It could cast an entire society into turmoil to have a transformation, a technological transformation, unfold very quickly. We are in a situation, a privileged position today, that we understand these dynamics well enough that we don't have to let that happen this time. We can make the transition to a new kind of world in a smooth and un, in, a, in a way that's not harmful, but but. Uh, is nevertheless dramatic and rapid. And so this is, this is a challenge, but it's a challenge that we can meet. We have the knowledge now. We have the understanding to do this. The key, again, is to study the history of technological change and social transformation and to have an understanding of what that looks like so that we can be prepared. Uh, can you give me an example, maybe, of, of this? Uh, has there been, has there ever been a smooth transition? <laughs> um, you're, you're, you're saying we can have this now because we now have the knowledge. Uh, can, we, can we point to the past, or has it always been incredibly, uh, you know, turbulent? Well, let's, let's talk about one that we've all just lived through, and it has, has its ups and downs, no question, but it's one that we are familiar with. So let's think about it. The internet revolution, the digital revolution. We've just been through that. It wasn't that long ago that there was no email or websites or buying things online with your smartphone or streaming your uh, video or watching Netflix. There, there was none of that in 1990 when I was in high school. And I remember vividly every step of moving through that process. Now, that, by historical standards, that transformation to a world before the Internet and the, and the ubiquitous presence and, of, and access to information, the transition from that world to a world now saturated with information at our fingertips, that transition happened very quickly in the greater arc of human history, over just a couple of decades. And we've all just been through it. And yes, there have been ups and downs. There have been bumpy parts of that journey. But it's now the new normal. And it's difficult at this point to look back, for many of us, I think, and even remember, geez, how do we, how do we live our normal lives without the access that we now take for granted to information, to communications. I mean, what did we do before cell phones? How do we know where our kids were? Well, we didn't. What did we do before email? What did we do before Wikipedia, where we could get every answer to every question we might have in the, in the blink of an eye? So we've just been through this massive transformation, and it's transformed not just our personal lives and our own experiences, but it's changed every industry in the world. It's changed how societies function and are organized with one another. It's changed politics. It's changed diplomacy and foreign policy. The Internet has changed everything. And that is because it was a, a disruption of one of the fundamental pillars of civilization, information and communications. And we now, today, we are on the cusp of three more major transformations 
of the global economy and of civilization. We are on the cusp of transformations just as big as the Internet was for information. We are on the cusp of an energy disruption, a transportation disruption, and a food disruption. We are on the cusp of all three of those at the same time. So this is an extraordinary moment in human history. We've just been through one extraordinary disruption, the, the Internet and information. We're now on the precipice of three more that are going to happen simultaneously. So it's an extraordinary time in human history. You and your uh, other authors at Rethink X, uh, you, you talk about uh, the age of freedom, a coming age of freedom that's possible, I guess, if we make the right decisions. What, uh, what are you talking about there? Well, up until now, we like to say that humanity has been living in an age of extraction. And by that, what we mean is that we've gone out into the world around us, into the natural world, and we've found resources in bulk, and we've broken them down into the pieces that we need. We've gone out and mined for materials. We've, we've gone out and we have raised livestock and then broken them down, slaughtered them into the meats and the milk and the dairy and the, and the components that we want. And so we have had an extractive mode of producing the goods and services that we need, that humanity needs. But that's about to change. The age of freedom that my colleagues Tony Seba and James Arby write about in their book is a fundamentally different system. It's a system in which we don't go out into the world, extract raw materials, resources in bulk and break them down, but instead we build up the things that we need from resources that are abundant, that are ubiquitous, that are everywhere, that everyone has access to. And so I'll give you an example of one thing that's going to change fundamentally, and that is energy. So in the past, in order to obtain energy, we've had to extract it. We've, had, we've extracted energy from primarily, over the last century, fossil fuel deposits, coal, oil, and natural gas. We've extracted those from where we were able to find them, and that's not very many places. So the fossil fuels are geographically limited, and that itself has created many issues and conflicts. And then we've had to send that energy resource all over the world because there were many parts of the world that didn't have the blessing of an abundant natural endowment of coal or natural gas or oil where they were. That's going to change because of the disruptive new technologies in energy. Those are solar power, wind power, and batteries. And a major part of my research has focused on those three technologies. The extraordinary thing about solar, wind, and batteries is that they can go everywhere. Solar power is abundant virtually everywhere. Wind power is abundant. Batteries can go everywhere. And as a result, we can have a system that produces a superabundance of clean energy that is accessible and available everywhere, that can be set up anywhere by anyone at any scale, from your own rooftop up to the, the grid scale for uh, entire nations. And it isn't exclusionary. It isn't geographically limited. 
and it is it has the potential to be completely transformative because the new technologies are not only cleaner, they're also now much, much cheaper than the old technologies were. What this means is that we're now stepping into a new era where energy can be clean and affordable to everyone everywhere. That lays the foundation for solving some of the biggest problems that we face today. Let's uh, take a break. We'll come back with uh, much more with uh, Adam Dore from Rethink X. You can find them at RethinkX.com. Adam Dore is Director of Research there at Rethink X. Uh, he's giving a talk uh, this coming Tuesday at Utah Tech University uh, in St. George as part of their Human Tech Speaker Series, and his talk will be titled Rethinking Humanity, Reasons for Optimism Amidst the Disruptions. That's 4 p.m. in the Zion Room in the Holland uh, Centennial Commons on the campus. That talk is open to the public. And uh, we will have more following this break. Support for programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Utah State University and the National Endowment for the Humanities. Dialogues on the Experience of War, Program Bringing War Home, Object Stories, Memory, and Modern War Project, Saturday, September 17th at the USU Salt Lake Center from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. An Artifacts Roadshow where the public can share 20th and 21st century war objects and stories. Storytelling details at upr.org. Support also comes from the Cache Valley Gardeners Market Farm to Table Dinner, Thursday, October 6th from 6 to 9 p.m. at Crumb Brothers, located at 291 South 300 West, featuring locally grown foods from Cache Valley Gardeners Market vendors. Tickets available at gardenersmarket.org and at the Market Token Booth. Our Great Salt Lake inspires awe and curiosity. The wetlands that surround the lake play critical roles in the cycling of water, supporting migratory birds, and reducing risks of floods, drought, and fires. A team of wetland researchers at Utah State University are now extending this scientifically sound information to engage land managers and policymakers. That's Undisciplined, Thursday morning at 10.30. Thanks for listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams. We're talking with Adam Dore today. He's director of research at the think tank Rethink X. You can find them at RethinkX.com. Uh, he's giving a talk on Tuesday at Utah Tech University as a part of their Human Tech Speaker Series. The talk's titled Rethinking Humanity Reasons for Optimism Amidst the Disruptions. And that's, uh, as I mentioned, 4 p.m. on Tuesday in the Zion Room on the Utah Tech campus. Um, so, Adam Dorr, what if we continue talking about energy? Uh, you say this is one of the three big disruptions uh, coming. Well, before we jump into specifically, I want to follow up with solar, wind, and batteries. But uh, uh, first of all, one of the messages from Rethink X is that we keep underestimating the speed at which change will happen. Uh, so, what's going to change first? Is it energy? Well, this is this is a a great example, energy, is a great example of how technology disruptions happen much, much faster than we expect. No matter how many times we've seen this happen in the past, it still catches us by surprise. 
we mentioned already that how quickly the disruption of, of film cameras by digital cameras took place. Uh, there are dozens and dozens of examples throughout history, going back to the Neolithic era, that show us exactly the same pattern. Disruptions start off slowly, and we don't really even notice them when they're beginning. But then they pass a tipping point and explode exponentially. And that's what we're starting to see in energy. So 10 years ago, solar power and wind power were marginal. They were an oddity. They were something that, that was perhaps a far-off dream that led decades into the future. And what hope could they have of really shaking up the energy system and challenging fossil fuels, coal, oil, natural gas? But now just a decade later, we're feeling that exponential surge. We're seeing it in energy. It's growing by leaps and bounds every year. <clears throat> now, as new technologies grow, they naturally wipe out the older ones that can no longer compete with them. The whole reason why technologies are adopted so quickly is that they begin to economically and competitively outperform, outclass, the existing technologies that they're disrupting. That's why they happen so fast. And entire industries can be transformed extremely quickly. So another great example that we often cite in our work is the disruption of horses by cars. We use horses for transportation for thousands of years. And then about a century ago, they were disrupted by cars. And that disruption only took 15 to 20 years in most places. So that was an extraordinarily rapid change of a very large system the transportation system that had in existed for millennia. And the same thing is true today. It can feel like there's no way for the older system to budge. The, the existing incumbent interests, the, the, the large corporations, the entire energy industry, it's just too big. It's too big to overthrow. It's too big. It's got too much power. And history has shown us time and again that that is not true. Industries, no matter how large, no matter how powerful, no matter how influential, they can be disrupted. And when they are, the disruptions happen very, very quickly. You were uh, author on a report recently, Rethinking Energy 2020 to 2030. Uh, and that report, in that report, you said 100% solar, wind, and batteries is possible. 100%. Uh, talk to me about that. What, and, and how are some of the problems going to be overcome? Well, the first question we asked when we started with that research was, is it even possible? Is it possible to meet all of humanity's energy needs with just solar and wind power, those forms of renewable uh, energy, paired with energy storage? Now, they have to be paired with energy storage because the sun doesn't always shine, obviously, the wind doesn't always blow, and so you have to be able to bottle up that energy when you're generating it so you can use it later when the, when the energy from the sun and wind is not available. So it's the combination, <clears throat> excuse me, it's the combination of those three technologies, the convergence of them that is driving the disruption. And again, this is a familiar, a familiar pattern throughout history. It is the convergence of several technologies together that usually trigger a disruption. What we found in our research is that not only is it possible for all of our energy to come from solar, wind, and batteries. Not only is that possible, it's also the least expensive, the most cost-effective way to obtain our energy going forward. From 2030 onward, 
it is going to be overwhelmingly the most affordable energy system that we can build almost everywhere in the world. And that includes the northern, the higher latitudes that encompass Europe and North America and so forth. We're not just talking about sunny places like Utah. So we then took the next step in that research and said, okay, well, if, these, if it's possible, what does the optimal system, what does the optimal energy system look like? And that is where we made fascinating discovery and where we were really surprised, where we discovered a result that we were not expecting. And that result is that there are many different mixes of the three technologies. There are many different mixes of solar and wind and batteries that you could build that would give you all of the energy that you needed. You could build a lot of solar power and not so much batteries, or vice versa. You could build not quite so much solar power and wind power and build really big batteries. And both of those systems would work. The question then became, all right, well, what is the optimal mix there? And that, that result was very unintuitive. What we found is that the optimal mix, in other words, the most affordable mix, the, right, uh, the, the lowest cost combination of those three technologies, is one in which the whole system is much bigger than the one we have today. This is very unintuitive. But it turns out that because batteries are so expensive, and they still are, even though they're getting cheaper, they are the costly part of any solar, wind, and battery system. It's the batteries that are expensive. And what, that, what the result of that is, is that it makes sense to build, to supersize your build of solar power. It makes sense to build lots and lots of solar power to keep the battery size small. What is the result of building lots and lots of solar power? Well, the result is that during the sunny months of the year and lots of the rest of the year, your solar power installations produce a surplus of clean energy. This is very unintuitive. It was very surprising. This has been a, really a, quite a transformative insight. We found that in places, sunny places like California and Texas, the optimal, the, the cheapest system that you could build would have about five times more electric generating capacity than today's electric grid. That seems crazy. How could a system that produces, that can produce so much more electricity be cheaper? But this is the nature of disruption. The new technologies are overwhelmingly competitive. The new system has this extraordinary property, though. This is, this is one of the things that's so exciting is that the new system, by producing a massive surplus of clean energy in the summertime especially, and throughout much of the rest of the year, but mostly in the summertime, that, that energy from solar power will have an extremely low cost. Solar panels don't care whether uh, you – they don't need fuel. They, don't, they just sit there and happily make electricity. You install them. They need very little maintenance. They don't require any fuel. They don't have any operating costs. Their marginal cost, as we say, uh, their cost to operate is very, very, very low. And what this means is that when they are overproducing in the summertime, you get a massive superabundance, a superabundance of clean energy. We call that superpower. And superpower is going to be transformative. It is going to change humanity's relationship to energy. We've never before lived in an era where energy was so abundant that for some 
parts of the of the year and in some locations, it was effectively free. That is the the new reality for us. This is one of the things that's going to be transformative about the energy disruption. It is going to shift us from a previous era of energy scarcity into a new era of energy abundance. And that is one of the reasons why I am so optimistic about our future. Uh, I want to follow up with you about the speed. You, you say we keep underestimating the speed at which disruptions are going to happen. So uh, staying on energy, uh, it kind of the conventional wisdom has been it's going to take decades to switch to clean technologies. Uh, you're saying it's going to happen fast. So why do you say that? Well, this is what we've always seen. The, the examples from history every time show us that that disruptions don't take many decades. They almost always take less than 20 years. We've seen this time and time again. In transportation, we saw it with cars replacing horses. With the Internet, we saw digital technologies replace uh, titans of media, newspapers and other kinds of uh, information and communications technologies and the industries built around them, we saw all of those disrupted. And not over the course of 50 years, but over the course of just 15 years or so. So we've seen this pattern again and again throughout history, and we're seeing it today. Even though, even though we have just lived through a pandemic, a global pandemic, and a uh, dreadful economic impact as a result of that, even still, solar power, wind power, and batteries are growing exponentially. Their adoption rates are growing exponentially worldwide. So we have seen this pattern in the past as well. Major social disruptions, wars, revolutions, recessions, they don't stop disruptions permanently. Nothing derails disruptions Permanently. When a new technology emerges, if it is competitive, if it offers more performance, more value, and a lower cost, then industries and societies will naturally adopt that new technology, and the adoption happens very rapidly. Now, a standard line of critique also forms part of the pattern of disruption we see in history, we always see concerns voiced, and they are reasonable concerns. Can we really build enough of this thing? In the case of energy, it's can we really build enough solar power, wind power, and batteries? In the digital revolution and the Internet, it was can we really build an, a new information superhighway, as it was called in the 1990s? Can we really... Uh, build all of the computers that we need and all of the high bandwidth connections that we need. These objections were voiced at the time, and they were very familiar. We hear them again and again. Well, we would need to build a hundred times more than we have today. That will take us a hundred years. But that's not how disruption happens. Disruptions accelerate. They don't proceed linearly and incrementally. They explode exponentially. And so we have every reason to believe, based on what we're seeing in the investment 
in the expansion of capacity, in the investment, in the expansion of production facilities all over the world, that solar power, wind power, and batteries will follow exactly the same pattern that we've seen in other disruptions throughout history. Let's take another break. We'll come back with the final segment with Adam Dorr, uh, who is joining us today as Director of Research at RethinkX Think Tank. You can find them at RethinkX.com. Uh, he's giving a talk on Tuesday at Utah Tech University as part of their Human Tech Speaker Series. It's titled Rethinking Humanity Reasons for Optimism Amidst the Disruptions. And that's happening at 4 p.m. on Tuesday, Zion Room in the Holland Centennial Commons on the Utah Tech campus in St. George. Talk is open to the public. We'll have more with Adam Dorr following this break. Every time you listen to Utah Public Radio, you discover something new. From Morning Edition to Access Utah and Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and the BBC, UPR keeps you informed, inspired, and connected. And we're here for you, heard because of you. Join now as a sustaining member at upr.org and make a difference by donating a monthly amount that works for you. Give early now at upr.org. And thank you. I'm Emma Parkhurst, host of Cropping Up. In this week's episode, we visit the Cache Valley Gardeners Market and chat with local ag producers, plus feature food demos from the event with Matt Lott from Blackstone Riddles, cooking up some tasty treats with locally grown fresh peaches and more. Tune in Thursday afternoon during All Things Considered and Friday on Morning Edition for more on Utah specialty crops and how you can incorporate fresh produce into your own recipes. Support for Cropping Up comes from the Utah Department of Agriculture and Food in partnership with USU's Hunger Solutions Institute and Create Better Health Utah. Thanks for listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams, and we're talking with Adam Dore. He's director of research at Rethink X. You can find them at RethinkX.com. And he's giving a talk at Utah Tech University as part of their Human Tech Speaker Series. The talk's titled Rethinking Humanity, Reasons for Optimism Amidst the Disruptions. That's on Tuesday at 4 p.m. in the Zion Room in the Holland Centennial Commons on the Utah Tech uh, University campus. So, Adam Dore, uh, you, you've been talking about these uh, huge disruptions that are coming, and they'll come faster than perhaps we think, and we've been concentrating on the uh, energy sector. You also say there are big, big disruptions coming in transportation and food as well, which which can usher in a, an age of freedom, as, as you call it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, there, there's something uh, from the book, Rethinking Humanity, and again, you can find that book at uh, RethinkX.com. Uh, I'm just quoting from the summary of the book. Uh, in a globally competitive world, smaller, hungrier, and more adaptable communities, cities, or states, uh, such as Israel, Mumbai, Dubai, Singapore, Lagos, Shanghai, California, or Seattle, are more likely to develop a winning organizing system. So we mentioned that earlier in the program, right? The disruptions are, are going to be happening, huge disruptions. And uh, I guess those governments, those entities, those societies which uh, make the advances needed in, in organizing systems are going to be the successful ones. Um, why, why do we think uh, maybe some of these uh, communities, it would be cities that uh, maybe is, are going to make this leap? Well, this is one of the surprising, unintuitive uh, upshots of understanding the history of technological disruption. And that is that it is not the incumbents, whether it's the incumbent industry or the 
most powerful society of an era, it is not the incumbents that are necessarily the winners. When a new technology or set of technologies emerges and offers a new set of capabilities and expands the horizon of what is possible for an industry or a sector or a society, that creates an extraordinary moment of opportunity. It means that unlike during the status quo where the incumbent interests uh, have a stranglehold on the system, on their power, and are very difficult to dislodge, when technology disruptions emerge, that opens the door for newcomers, for uh, innovation from the edge. And by innovation, I mean not just technological innovation. I mean new social organization, new cultural values and ways of looking at the world, new institutions, these can find a, an opportunity to take root and blossom when new technology becomes available. That extraordinary opportunity is available far and wide. And so for the technologies we're talking about today, clean energy, that means solar power, wind power, and batteries, or transportation, that means electric vehicles and self-driving vehicles. For food, the disruption is going to be driven by precision fermentation. That is the technology for growing proteins and other molecules using microbes. Uh, for cellular agriculture, that is a food technology for growing meat and other animal products, but without the animal. The, these three disruptions of energy, transportation, and food, they can happen anywhere. They can be led by anyone anywhere. And in, in fact, what history shows us is that overwhelmingly it is not the powerful incumbency that leads the charge with the new technology. It, it, and so what that means that is that today it's very unlikely we're going to see the biggest oil companies leading the solar, wind, and batteries disruption. They're very unlikely to do that. They are much more likely to be disrupted than to lead the disruption. In a similar way, Silicon Valley led the disruption as an outsider of the information and communications industries during the digital revolution. It wasn't the newspaper titans that led the development and the, uh, uh, the, and, the and that led the information and communications disruption that we've all just lived through, the rise of the Internet. That was not led by the, the status quo powerful players in the incumbency. It was led by outsiders. And this could happen again. And it doesn't just mean, again, doesn't just mean industry outsiders. It means societies, communities that are not at the centers of power today. So this is an extraordinary opportunity. What we like to say is that these three technology disruptions of energy, transportation, and food, they can be radically democratizing and decentralizing. They provide the opportunity for every community anywhere to become a leader, to become uh, a, an example of success. And so one of the guiding principles that we recommend for anybody trying to understand disruption is that we all communities everywhere across the entire globe need to start experimenting and learning. Nobody knows in advance exactly which ways of doing things will turn out to be best. 
just like in the 1990s, nobody could predict exactly who the winners and losers of the Internet revolution would be. So the lesson here is that we need to start experimenting, and sooner rather than later. Now, that experimentation will lead to both successes and failures, and we need to learn from both of those. And we need to learn from the ones we make on our own and any successes and failures that others make, that we see around the world. And then we need to put those lessons into practice as soon as possible. Any community can do that. Any community. A community in Utah, a community on the other side of the world, they can be the leaders, they can be the winners in these disruptions. And that is also one of the reasons why I'm so optimistic about our future. We just have a couple minutes, uh, about two minutes left. Uh, but I want to have you just very briefly um, paint a picture for me, uh, maybe not that far out. Maybe let's take 2030, year, the year 2030. Uh, what are a couple of big things that uh, that you predict uh, the, the world will look like in 2030? Well, by eight years, both seems like a long way away and not so long. Our research suggests that by 2030, a substantial fraction, perhaps the majority of the world's electricity, will be being generated by solar and wind power. It will be clean, and it will be very, very cheap. That is tremendously exciting news because energy goes into everything we make and do. It's part of the cost of every product and every service, and so as energy gets cheaper and cleaner, so does everything else. The same is true in transportation. We are likely to see the majority of new vehicles being electric vehicles by 2030 because they are growing exponentially. And transportation, like energy, goes into everything we make and do. So as it gets cleaner and cheaper, thanks to electric vehicles and self-driving technology, which we expect to mature by then, so does everything else across the entire economy. And for food, too. Food goes into everything we make because it fuels us, right? It makes us go. And we, of course, make everything else go. And one last thing that we haven't talked about a whole lot, but that I think will be uh, starting to make an extraordinary impact by 2030, is automation at large. This is driven today by the technologies of machine learning and artificial intelligence. And these are going to turbocharge the whole process of disruption by making a gigantic increase in the availability of inexpensive labor available throughout the economy. We're going to see robotics and software uh, expanding our productive capacity right alongside human beings in a major way by 2030. So putting it all together, the combination of these disruptions is going to make everything across the entire global economy cleaner and more affordable for everyone everywhere. And the end result is that we are going to be entering an era of explosive new prosperity by 2030. The 2030s are going to be an extraordinarily exciting time. And that prosperity, I believe, will enable us to meet some of our biggest challenges and solve some of our biggest problems. 
Well, uh, we it's been an interesting conversation. Uh, thank you. Adam Dorr is, uh, is Director of Research at Rethink X uh, Think Tank. Uh, you can find them at RethinkX.com. He's giving a talk uh, on Tuesday at 4 p.m. in the Zion Room on the Utah Tech University campus as part of their Human Tech Speaker Series titled Rethinking Humanity, Reasons for Optimism Amidst the Disruptions. Adam Dorr, thank you so much for spending the hour with us. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And we'll go out as we always do on Thursdays uh, with Leo T. and Skywatcher. It's many cultures, one sky. Skywatcher Leo T. here as we look up as the stars come out in the purple twilight. The great dim square of Pegasus is climbing the eastern sky, looking forward above bright Jupiter and a bit to the left. It's balancing on one corner like the horse likes to do. Late these nights, ever-brightening Mars is back, accentuating the eastern sky, hanging on the horn of Taurus the bull. It's the same color as Aldebaran, the eye of the bull to its right. Check the neat chart from Sky and Telescope on the Skywatcher Facebook page and Way out into the distance, we can see NASA's DART probe getting ready to play Cosmic Pool and connect with an asteroid September 26th. The double asteroid redirection test is a bold attempt to knock an incoming space rock out of its trajectory. As scientists are hoping to be able to knock an asteroid out of a possible collision course if it is coming toward the Earth, that's where DART's Cosmic Pool game comes in. The spacecraft will slam into a small asteroid called Dimorphos, which, like clockwork, orbits a larger near-Earth asteroid called Didymos. It's kind of a moon of an asteroid. By targeting one of the two asteroids, scientists can see the orbit of both and see relatively if the impact knocked Dimorphos out of its orbit. By the way, it's not going to hit the Earth. It's, they're just practicing. And NASA has been a busy space agency, haven't they? With space telescope, probes to Jupiter, and out beyond the solar system. And, of course, the project to put people back on the moon again called Artemis. And the uncrewed launch that will test the systems out around and beyond the moon is on the launch pad, as NASA announced Monday evening. It will delay the fuel system test of the massive rocket following repairs to fueling components performed last week aimed at addressing recurring liquid hydrogen fuel leaks. The fueling test has been moved to the 21st of September and now looking to launch the Artemis 1 mission on the 27th of September and reviewing October 2nd as a potential backup date. They have some other windows as well, so go Artemis, go! And winging for the moon, out to Mars, JPL and NASA's Perseverance rover is snapping some great shots. You can see this one on the Skywatcher site. It's an image of the enchanted lake Rocky Outcrop. There's not really a lake there, but there was once. It's informally named after a landmark in Alaska's Katmai National Park. The image of the outcrop near the base of Jezero Craters Delta, where the rover is roving around, provided the rover team with a close-up glimpse of sedimentary rocks. Such rocks consist of fine particles carried by the atmosphere and water, and deposited in generally flat-laying layers, which become indurated or turned into rock over time. It's many cultures, one sky. Big thanks to Anthony Aveni, Star Stories, with a little fun and interpretation by your storyteller, Skywatcher. Do you ever lie on the grass on a hot summer day? You have probably gazed at puffy cumulus clouds rolling in a deep blue sky and imagined familiar forms morphing from one to another. A bird that, as you watch, turns into a dragon and then into your cat's face. We do the same with geological formations, New Hampshire's old man of the mountain, the woman of Molly in Guinea, and an extraterrestrial face on the surface of Mars. Remember that one? Once the cumulus clouds evaporate in the evening twilight and pitch black sky and mysterious points of light start appearing, there's another backdrop very suitable for expressing the narrative of the hunt or planting. Stars and swirls of sparkling light arc slowly and silently across the night sky. The night sky is a natural storyboard available to everyone. 
Ptolemy, a second century Alexandrian astronomer, listed 48 constellations, three dozen which were named after land animals, fish and birds with a sprinkling of snakes and humanoids, as well as one insect. But everyone who has lived or is living has looked at puffy or lenticular clouds, geologic formations or in the night sky, patterns and shapes in the stars, the emu in the sky from Aboriginal Australia to Peru, where the Villa Canata River leads back to the skies the Milky Way. To Cetus the whale swimming in the southern celestial seas with Delphinus the dolphin up above jumping in and out of the Milky Way. The sky, it's all of our heritage. So keep looking up, look around, and get a little bit lost in space. Skywatcher Leo T. On UPR with translator stations statewide and streaming live at upr.org. The Great Salt Lake Collaborative and Salt Lake Community College are calling for submissions from writers of all genres, photographers and artists ages 15 and older for the Great Salt Lake Anthology. The deadline for submissions is no later than midnight on September 21. And join us for the Great Salt Lake Anthology Gala on October 27 from 5.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the Gallivan Center in Salt Lake City. Selected works will be read and on display. More details online at upr.org. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard at upr.org. That car you've had for a while, the one that's getting expensive to maintain, have you considered donating it? Proceeds benefit Utah Public Radio and help support news and programs you listen to every day. Thanks to Lisa Wilson in Hyde Park for donating her old vehicle to the station. Join Lisa by calling 877-877-7501 or going to upr.careasy.org to get started. And thank you so much. <laughs> 